morning. It's not much I can say that's going to top that worship that we had a few minutes ago. Um, I almost feel like closing in prayer and sending you guys off. Good, I mean, thank you, band. That was awesome. Thank you, Wendy. I appreciate your authenticity, your vulnerability there, and sharing your heart with us, letting the Spirit move there. I'm preaching on Genesis 22 this morning, and this is a familiar text to me. Maybe it is to you, maybe it's not. Maybe you've never read through this text. Maybe you don't know the story of Abraham and his son. Um, But this is a hard text. Um, It's controversial in some aspects, um, but it's awesome. And I'm thankful I get to preach on this this morning as we continue our Genesis series. Next Sunday is Father's Day, and um, I get to celebrate that this year. Uh, My wife is pregnant, and so we're expecting our first little one in January. And so with that being said, this text takes on a whole new meaning for me. I've been looking forward to being a dad since I was a little kid. Um, I've always liked little babies and little kids ever since I was a little kid. And so this day is finally here. And um, over the past few years, I've really looked forward to being a dad from the aspect that I knew it would completely change my outlook on the gospel. I I don't know what it's like to be a father loving his son the way God loves Jesus. And so I knew this would change everything for me. And so I can't wait. I'm, I'm thrilled. And so... If you do pray for me, I ask that you pray for my wife, Kristen, um, and our kid. I I ask that you pray for her health um, and the growth of the baby. But ultimately, I ask that you pray for God to save that child. Um, So if you would, I I I would really appreciate that. Because that is is my greatest concern. You don't know what's going to be the outcome. You don't know what the personality of the child is going to be, no matter how well you do, how... No matter how you take all the right steps to prepare your kids for their future, it's ultimately up to God to save them. And so I ask you to plead with me for God to save that child. But that's not why this text takes on a new meaning for me with my new stance as a dad-to-be. And I plan to show you why. Father, God, you have blessed us greatly this morning. God, you have already preached to us this morning. Holy Spirit, help me to unpack your word for us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today's sermon is called, How Can We Trust God in the Midst of Difficulty? I'm going to go old school on you today. There's the title of the sermon, How Can We Trust God in the Midst of Difficulty? And so I plan to walk that question out with you this morning in three parts. The first part being the call, the second part being the problem, and the third part being God's provision. God's provision. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. So after these things, after these things that have just happened previously in chapter 21, This is Abraham's second encounter with Abimelech. They've made a covenant to deal graciously with one another. Um, And so after these things, the things that take place in chapter 22 are happening. 
Uh, and this has been several years. Several years have passed in this time frame. And that, that could be, from what the scholars say, anywhere from 10 to 25 years. That would make Abraham about 115 to about 140, somewhere in that range, and Isaac from about a teenager to almost 35. So somewhere in that range is when this has taken place. And so one thing we can be sure about is that they've aged a bit. Isaac is no longer a little boy. He's no longer a child. He's a teenager to a man, a young man, compared to Abraham, who is now an old man, older man. He's always been an old man, it seems. And so after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. God tested Abraham. He did not tempt Abraham. Do not get those two confused. There is a huge difference there. He tested him. A test is a trial for, some, for the genuineness or the authenticity or the presence of something. In this case, this was a test of Abraham's love for God. To, to, tempt, some, to tempt someone is to allure, entice them um, to do something uh, widely known as unwise or evil or immoral. So we know God is not doing that because in James 1.13 it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So that's the key in reading this text. We have to look at this text in that light, knowing that whatever unfolds here, God is not alluring or enticing Abraham to do anything immoral, unwise, or evil. We've got to read this text and study this with that focus in mind. So God calls out to Abraham by his name, and he responds, here am I, here am I, those three words. And you can take that to mean I'm ready. So God calls to Abraham, and Abraham says, I'm ready. Right there, I'm ready. I think this is a testament to the type of man Abraham is. He's not perfect. We've studied this recently here. He's screwed up a lot. And he's made some huge blunders, but, it, but ultimately he loves God. He loves God, so when God calls him, he answers. My first question to you today is, when God calls you, how do you answer? When God calls you, what's your response? Is it, hold on a minute? Maybe it's, uh, oh, you caught me at a bad time, can I call you back? Or maybe you screen the call and just press ignore. Or maybe you answer right away. In this case, Abraham answers right away. Here am I. He doesn't even know what the call is about. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but this is something I've done in the past. Maybe only once or twice, but someone has called, and I look at my phone, and I see that, oh, I don't want to get into this conversation right now. So I let it ring and ring and ring, hoping that maybe when the call ends, I'll either get a text message or a voicemail, and then I can check that, screen that, and see if this is the conversation I can have right now or not. Um, that's not a reoccurring thing, so don't worry about that. And most importantly, this has never happened with any of you. So, um, so when you call me and I don't answer the phone right away, don't go towards that result immediately. Uh, he's waiting to see if I'm going to send him a text or not. That's not what's happening there. I'm probably praying for you on the other end of that. So, When God calls us, we answer. There's no hiding from him. And so when God calls Abraham, he answers right then. Calvin says, it certainly is true subjection when we are prepared to act before the will of God is made known to us. 
That's true subjection. When God calls, we answer. Verse 2. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I think it's safe safe to say that this is the toughest trial of Abraham's life to this point. This, this is a call that no parent wishes to answer. When you answer that phone and this is what's on the other end, you don't wish to answer that call, but this is what he's faced with right here. He says, your only son to Abraham. So we've already recently seen in the previous chapters that Abraham had another son, Ishmael, but he had just previously sent him off with his mom, um, Hagar. And so now this leaves Isaac as Abraham's only son whom he loves. So we already know what the call is. He's called to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. And so God calls him by his name, Isaac, your son, in case you weren't sure of who I was talking about. Isaac, your son, your only son, whom you love. Whom you love seems a little tough right now. Whom you love. He's kind of letting you know, you know, the son that you love, I'm asking you to give up. And God's not being cruel here. He's simply making it known that I'm fully aware of what I'm asking you to do. I know exactly what I'm asking you to do. I know he's your only son. I know you love him. And yes, I'm asking you to offer him up. Abraham was to take his son to the land of Moriah, to a mountain that God has not revealed yet. So there's some unknown, there's some uncertainty about the call. But he goes. So God asked him to offer up Isaac. To offer something means to present or to volunteer something. So there, there's willingness with this call. There's willingness on Abraham's part in this call. God didn't ask him to murder Isaac. He didn't say, Abraham, I want you to kill your son. He asked him to offer him to God as an offering. He could have had anyone take the life of Isaac. But he wanted Abraham to do that. And not just to kill him, but to offer him as a sacrifice. Sometimes we try to obey God, but we do do it still with a bitter heart sometimes. And that's not true obedience. If we do that uh, begrudgingly. In Romans 14 it says, anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Think about that. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Think about all the good things you can do not in faith. Paul says that's sin. So Abraham can do this. He can offer Isaac up, but if he doesn't do it in faith, it's still sin. He can fully walk this whole thing out, and in the end, if it's not in faith, it's sin. That's hard. That's hard to swallow. And I think this was very hard for Abraham, but I think it was hard for him for a different reason. The culture back then is completely different than the culture today. The culture today is very individualistic. Me, myself, and I. My success, my status, my future. Um, what can I do? Let me branch out, right? Since, since, since we're born, we're, we're fighting for independence. We want to get our license. We want to go out. We want to do this stuff away from our parents. We want to get our own place, our own job, work our way up the career ladder. It's all about us. Back then, completely different. It was about the family. It's about the family. All the success of the family was placed on the firstborn. So the firstborn 
And there, there was a lot of pressure on the firstborn. All the hopes and dreams of a family were placed on the future of their offspring. In this case, Isaac isn't the offspring, but we know in Genesis 12 and 17 that the covenant God made with Abraham was to come through Isaac. So this inheritance was to be passed through Isaac. And that's why families didn't split the inheritance up to, their, to all their kids. Because if they did that, and it was the, the status of the family would be diluted immediately. So to keep the status of the family, it was passed to one son. In this case, that inheritance is being passed to Isaac. That was laid upon Isaac. God makes it very clear in the Old Testament the firstborn are his. If you look at the Passover, you spread the, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so, God, so the Spirit of God wouldn't come and take the firstborn. Um, the first fruits are offered to God. Um, the firstborn of your livestock are offered to God. The f- first grains are offered to God. The firstborn are God's. There's a debt of sin that every family owes. Every family owes, and they understand that. So this call to Abraham, it's not so unusual because people were offering their kids to pagan gods during this time. So this wasn't a completely unusual thing for Abraham to hear this call. But the familiarity of the call didn't make it any easier for him. It didn't change the fact that he was still called to do this. So we have to understand that when God calls Abraham to do this, he has all this in context. It isn't strange. It's not unheard of for people to sacrifice their kids to pagan gods. He understands what the call is. It's a huge sacrifice. All his hopes and dreams, the future of his family, is being asked to be offered up. Abraham's been fatherless for 80 plus years. He's an old man now, a very old man now. And so this son that's been promised to him is now being asked to be handed over. So it's one thing for us to have something taken from us. That's completely different. We can deal with that if things are taken from us or stolen from us. What, what can you do then? You deal with it. You move on. But when you have to offer something up, when you have to give something away, that's completely different. That's a completely different ball game. When it's on you to offer that up. So I just want you to grasp the the weightiness of the call, what he's being asked to do. It's not just a matter of God wanting Isaac's life. In fact, he didn't want Isaac's life. He wanted Abraham's love. So that's really what the call is about. That's what the test is about. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love God more than anything else? Luke fourteen twenty six. These are the red words. This is Jesus speaking here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You must hate the things you cherish most in life in comparison to your love for God. Understand that. It's not that you hate those things. Jesus isn't saying you need to hate your parents, hate your brothers and sisters, hate your kids, hate yourself. He said, but in comparison to me, your love for them looks like hate. Luke 14, 33 says, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You have to renounce everything for the gospel, willingly. 
everything. So please hear me on this. Parents, you are not asked to go and kill your children. Please do not do that. That is not the call. That is not what God is asking you to do. But he is asking you, do you love me more than these? These. And whatever just popped in your head right now, what the these are, the thing that you immediately want to grab and hold on to, God is saying, do you love me more than that? Right there. Because that's what I'm asking you to give. And if you're sitting here thinking, I pray and hope that God never calls me to do that, he already has. He already has. That is the call placed on everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. Everyone who comes after Jesus, after God, that is the call placed on you. So it's not a matter of when, it's already happened. That's the call. He's asking you to love him more. More than these. Part two, the problem. The problem at hand. How does Abraham respond to this? Verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So how does Abraham respond? He gets up early. He gets up early. He doesn't hesitate. When we hesitate, we've already opened up the door for disobedience. When we hesitate. So he gets up early. He gets prepared. He cuts the wood. Notice who cuts the wood. Abraham cuts the wood. He's old. He could have had any one of his servants cut this wood, but he cuts the wood. He takes the call serious. And he counts the cost with every swing of his axe. Think about that. He's cutting the wood that is to consume his son. A burnt offering was an offering made um, by fire, and the fire was to consume everything placed on the altar. Consume it to wipe it out. So he's cutting the wood. Think about that. Every swing of the axe, parents. Every swing of the axe, you're cutting the wood that's going to consume your child. Abraham did that. He wanted to see it to the end. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Moriah was about 45 miles away from Beersheba, so that was a two-plus-day trip there. It was a long trip. It was a long trip, and so think about that as well. It's not, Abraham, go and sacrifice Isaac right now. You could, you know, I don't know if we could do, ever do that. I don't think we can. But if you did that in the heat of the moment, that's, I think that's a little easier than making a three-day trek thinking about the situation. It might as well have been forever thinking about offering your son up. But Abraham's committed. He's already on the journey. He's committed. He's cut the wood, saddled the donkey, taken his men with him, and he's going. So he's carrying this out. So believe it or not, the biggest problem here is not the sacrifice of Isaac. The biggest problem here is the fact that God's character is called into question. God's very character is called into question right here. God has made a covenant with Abraham through his son Isaac, that he cannot break. God has made a covenant he cannot break. Yet he asked for the son who the covenant is placed upon to be offered up. So God's command seems to contradict his promise. This is the problem at hand. God's character is, what's going on here? God is, isn't a liar, so how can this happen? How can this happen? How can God keep his covenant and yet still require the life of Isaac? 
Verse 5. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I think this is fascinating, this line right here. In the midst of this huge problem, Abraham has no idea what's about to happen, but he knows that he's going to obey. And he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And he has no clue what's about to happen, how this is all going to go down. But he obeys and he lets God's part be his responsibility, not his. Abraham knows in the end he will return with his son Isaac. You cannot miss that. He says, we're going to go, I'm going to offer him, and we're going to come back. The the truth is, as much as we think we understand how God works or why he does, we don't. We don't. And it's not our place to know that or to know why. That's on God to work that out. And thank goodness it's on him and it's not on us because we can't handle that honestly. We can't handle it to know why or how. We just have to let God be God. Part three, God's provision. And this is going to be where the majority of today's sermon is going to come from. Because that's what it's all about. Verses six through eight. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. I want to look at the type of dad that Abraham is in these few verses. Um, Note what Abraham carries and what Isaac carries. Abraham carries the knife, the fire, the dangerous stuff. Isaac carries the wood. So you can still see Abraham's heart in this. He still cares for his son. He still takes his role as the dad and protects him. And this was a long journey, three days. And Abraham is taking Isaac and you can kind of start to see this unfold. They've made a three-day trek. They show up. Um, okay, you take the wood. I'll get the knife and the fire. Okay, so we're, we're, we're here for a burnt offering. So, so, Dad, where's the lamb? I would be, <laughs> I personally would be pretty frustrated if I made a three-day journey. I'm like, wait, we forgot the lamb? Um, so Abraham's response is, um, son, don't worry. God will provide. In a time of confusion and doubt, Abraham's response to Isaac is is truly remarkable. In in that moment, Isaac sees faith in his dad, faith in God for the situation, and knowing that God's going to provide. He was his dad his son could follow. And so they go. And you know Isaac believes his dad because they continue on up the mountain. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
So things are starting to come into place. He's, Abraham's gathering the stones to build the altar. He's arranging the wood. Um, and he binds Isaac. Process that with me. He binds Isaac. Isaac knows what's going on right now. He completely understands what's happening right now. We've already established that Isaac is either a teenager or he's a 35-year-old man or somewhere in between. His dad is 115 plus. Anyone in this room can take Abraham if you wanted to. If he wanted to resist Abraham, done, easy. He could run away, do whatever, but he submits and he allows his dad to bind him and place him on the altar. It says boy here, but that's translated young man. He knows what's going on at this point. The lamb, uh, that's obviously me at this point. There's no way this happens if Abraham is a bad father. There's no way Isaac submits to his dad if he hasn't seen his dad walking with God for years at this point. If you haven't seen your dad walking with God for years and he tells you, hey, uh, stand still, I'm going to bind you and put you on the altar, you're out of there. You're out of there. This is years. This is years of a God-centered relationship between Abraham and his son that this is on the heels of. Dads, are you discipling your family? Husbands, are you discipling your wives? Dads, are you discipling your children? Because that is your responsibility. That is your responsibility. So are you spending time with your family? Are you teaching them the gospel? Are you praying with them? Are you serving with them? Are you loving others with them? Are you discipling them? Because when difficult times come, and they will, they're going to look to you to lead them through that. So are you a dad your family can follow? Are you a husband your wife can follow? Even if you do all the things well and do everything right, there's no guarantee that your family's going to follow you, but I can guarantee you that they will not follow where you aren't leading. If you aren't leading them down the path, there's no way they're going to be able to follow you. Men, we need to step up. Verses 10 through 12. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham raises the knife. He's just about to sacrifice Isaac. How, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So he believed God could raise Isaac from the dead if he sacrificed him. That's, an, that's incredible faith. But that still doesn't change the fact that he still had to sacrifice his son. It didn't make it any easier still. 
It's still his responsibility to obey. So you see these three words right here, now I know. The angel of the Lord is speaking for God, saying, now I know. I've seen you ready to carry this out to the end. Now I know. Now I know you love me. Now I know you fear God. It's not about willingness. This, this life that we're called to live as a Christian is not about being willing. It's about obedience. Abraham had to walk this out. Finish this sentence for me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It does not say if you love me, you have to be willing to keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. It's our responsibility to obey. Francis Chan had this illustration recently. I want to share this with you. I think it's beautiful. I think it's very telling and revealing. Parents, it's like telling your kids to clean your room. Clean your room. And so you let them go. They run off. And you check back with them a little later on. Did you clean your room? Well, no, Dad. I I didn't clean my room. Um, But I, I did pray about it, though. I prayed about cleaning my room. And um, I even invited a bunch of my friends over, and we even sat in a circle, and we opened our Bibles, and we studied what it would look like to clean my room. Um, and we, you know, we were strategic, and we planned out how this was going to happen, but, but no, we, we didn't clean our room. It's not about being willing, it's about obeying. And that's a funny little illustration, but that sadly is truth a lot for us. Willingness isn't enough. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's not about being willing because you honestly won't know you're willing until you obey. That's how you know you're willing when you obey. So that's why it's not enough to just say, I'm willing to do this. That's, those are just words. If they're not backed up by obedience. That's why it's not about being willing to give to the poor. That's a command, so you give to the poor. It's not about uh, preaching the gospel to the lost. You preach the gospel to the lost. It's not about loving your wife, being willing to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's not about being willing to do those things. You do those things. Those are commands. Those are not considerations for you. Those are not suggestions. Those are commands for you to obey. James says that you are deceived. If you think by coming here once a week, or maybe once a year, um, to a worship service, that you're a Christian. He says you're deceived if you even think that by coming and giving your money or resources away that you're a Christian. You're deceived if you think that by doing a bunch of good works it makes you a Christian. He says you are deceived. You're deceived if you think getting baptized when you're a little kid makes you a Christian. Do not be deceived. You know you're a Christian if the gospel changes your life. If that's good news for you, that the the blood was shed for you that paid for your sins, as we sang earlier. If God has come and changed your heart and you have surrendered your life to him in return, and that changes your life, you're a Christian. 
So what does gospel transformation look like in your life today? That's the question. Not a decade ago, not 10 years ago, not five years ago. What does that look like for you right now? How has that changed the way you obey in your marriage, your finances, your time, your relationships? How does that change? How does the blood shed, the cross, the empty tomb, how does that change those things for you today? Do not be deceived. Be doers, not just hearers. But with that being said, the last thing I want you to do is leave this place thinking that you need to try harder. Time to pull up the bootstraps and get after it. We've got to get way past the try harder mentality. We've got to understand why. Why we obey. Why. Here's how. Verses 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. God provided the lamb for the offering. The angel of the Lord comes in and stops Abraham and says, don't harm your son. But it didn't end there. The story doesn't end there. We don't move on to chapter 23. There's still a sacrifice that needs to be made because there's still a debt that is owed. This is what we call substitutionary atonement. The lamb was placed as Isaac's substitute to atone for the sin that was owed. So there was still a sacrifice that needed to be made. There was still blood that was needed to be shed. And so the lamb substitutes for Isaac. Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. In Hebrew, this is God's name as Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And that literally translates to the Lord will see to it, or the Lord sees. Notice that Abraham did not name the place the Lord has provided because he sees the lamb. It's not the Lord has provided the lamb, but it's the Lord will provide the lamb, the lamb of God being his son Jesus. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord sees to it. The Lord will provide the ultimate lamb, his son Jesus, as our substitute. I, I, I don't know if I said earlier, but I think this might be my favorite story in the Bible favorite text, because this, it's not about Abraham, it's not about what incredible faith he had, it's not about Isaac, it's about Jesus. This is the gospel in Genesis. This is the gospel. If you've ever had trouble seeing how the Old Testament points to Jesus, I hope this text helps you, because this text is about Jesus. And here's the kicker. Verse 14, it says, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. This mount, Mount Moriah, this is the place Abraham built the altar to sacrifice his son Isaac. This is the same place that Solomon built the temple. And this is the very place that Jesus was crucified. On the mount it will be provided. Mount Moriah, this place, is the place that Jesus was crucified. So God will provide the lamb. And he did on that same mountain. I think that's incredible. 
I think that's incredible. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his br- firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Camuel, the father of Aram, Chezid, Hazo, Pildash, Didlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makah. So God asked for Isaac. He provides the lamb. He keeps his covenant. Abraham was obedient. Problem solved. The ultimate seed of Isaac uh, is Jesus. So now that this has been walked out, things are going to continue on. Jesus will come through the seed of Isaac. All the nations are to be blessed by Jesus. And this is the last significant thing that we see of Abraham uh, in Scripture. And Moses uses this to transition from the life of Abraham to Isaac at this point. I think that's a pretty good way to go out for Abraham. Isaac's blood uh, could not satisfy the debt that was owed. It it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. That lamb, the the ram that was sacrificed, it it wasn't enough. We we can never do enough. We talked about this in journey groups this past week. I think it's lesson eight of Gospel Center Life. If you've been doing that, you've kind of walked through this as well. We talked about the debt that we owe God and what that's like. How would you describe that? Man, that's something that I cannot repay over a million lifetimes. I can't repay that debt. I cannot pay that off. I, I couldn't do it, so God paid that for me. Jesus paid that for me. And that's why trying harder won't cut it. You can't do enough. And it's not about what we do. It's about what he did. That's why it's not about trying harder, pulling up the bootstraps. It's not about what we do. It's about what he did on the cross. How he resurrected from the dead. That's what it's about. That's the good news. It's impossible to obey without God's provision. Abraham couldn't have sacrificed Isaac unless God provided a substitute. We can't obey without God providing for us. There's a lot of uncertainty about the call, um, but not about the caller. Not about the caller. How could God keep his covenant through Abraham's obedience? The covenant was completely dependent on God and had nothing to do with Abraham. The covenant was made by God. And that's the key. The weight isn't on us. God doesn't expect us to fulfill his promises. That's his, that's his doing. Thank the Lord that that's not on us. And we worship a worthy and loving God. And Abraham obeyed that God because that God is worthy, and he knew that that God loved him. 
you go back and turn that scripture around, it says, you know, the angel of the Lord said to Abraham, now I know that you fear the Lord because you have not withheld your only son from me. Turn that around. God, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Now I know that you love me. Now I know. And that's why we can trust God in the difficult times. Because we know that he loves us. And that's what we place our faith in. And that's why we press on. That's why we obey. Because we worship and serve a loving God. Who gave his only son for us. Isaac called out to his dad, Father, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And Jesus called out to his dad as well. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God shows us how much he loves us in his silence. So what is God calling you to do? Maybe he's calling you to cut back on your finances to give to the poor. Maybe he's calling for a job change. Maybe he's calling you to go across the world to another nation and share the good news with someone who's never heard it. Maybe he's calling you to take the, the guy who sits in the next cubicle over to lunch and just to love him. What is he calling you to do? If you're, if you're unsure, then ask him. Ask him. He's calling you into a relationship with him that is better than anything you will ever experience in life. And I don't know if we'll ever, ever, ever understand how much he loves us, but we do know how much his love cost him. We'd know what was the price tag. And God's love for us cost him his son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loved. So we can trust God all the time, even in the midst of difficulty, because we know that he loves us that much. And that changes everything. Father God.